So we know for our listeners, there's many issues with family rules and family roles that might be brand new and you're heading in this week. And so I think you and I would advise them to maybe rather than trying to integrate super specific changes, maybe if this is your first time thinking of these things, just go in observationally and just recognize who you are more differently maybe or what rules are spoken or unspoken rules or spoken or unspoken roles and who's labeling, who's not labeling, and maybe just be an observer. And then the pre-communication with your family on the way there, if you're married or boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, and then some reflection on the way back, the debrief on your way out. That kind of starts to get the ball rolling for family systemic awareness and family systemic change. Because one person in the family system can really start to make it healthier for everybody. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril here with my co-host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. All right. So last week we talked about family rules and we took a deep dive into those overt and covert rules that families all operate under oftentimes without them even knowing it. So if you are interested in that, please check out last week's episode. And as promised, we wrapped up talking about family roles, which are certainly related. Let's talk about family roles. And Elliot, we are right before Christmas now. So this is our last opportunity to share with the listeners. So Elliot, let's start with some of those conventional kind of expected roles based on birth order. And then we can go into some of the roles family members take on that may not be related to birth order, just related to temperament, personality, and the ways that the system has coaxed individual members into different directions. So thinking about someone who hasn't taken a bunch of family systems classes, when they say family role, what do they, I mean, they're going to be like, yeah, the oldest is going to be the leader. The middle is going to be squeezed in the middle, maybe has to play referee, and the youngest is going to be the clown, right? I mean, they're going to have some sort of touchstone, but what are we talking about? Are we always talking about those, like you said, positional roles, or are we talking about something more? And give me concrete examples always, please. (laughs) Yeah, family systems, the theory behind it determines that there's roles automatically assigned or accepted whether they're called out or not. And so depending on what the birth order looks like, what the family system looks like, for example, if you have a really dominant matriarchal system, which means the mother is in charge. And it doesn't mean the father doesn't have any power, doesn't have any influence, but the mother's demonstrative, communicates her wants and needs and the status and organization strongly. And there's a firstborn son, he may or may not challenge that matriarchal position. And so even if he's firstborn, he might be more passive, especially if the model of his father is passive. And it might be the middle daughter who would be the more bossy second child, our first daughter, that might be the more bossy system, I think, of our dad's family, where that was the case, though Aunt Patty was also very strong. Our dad, who was the firstborn son's second child, acted way more firstborn than he did middle. Yeah. And so that's an example of following his dominant father-style dad, even if that dominance wasn't always healthy. So I think in that role context, some of these are simplistic, like you mentioned a couple of the main ones, bossy, older, rebel, middle, clown or baby in the last position, they're often moved around, interchanged and connected. And once you get extended family together, 
So you have multiple family systems in the same large family context, then roles can bounce around and a certain firstborn who's younger and the second generation might not act firstborn in, in relation to the other roles of three or four bossy people above them. They might retreat for that day or just be passive for that day, not in a defiant way or a I dismissive way, but just in a natural flow. I am the opportunity to introduce you guys to the wellness company legit thrilled tim was even teasing me he's like you're gonna fangirl so hard and i do and i have because dr peter mccullough has been one of the doctors throughout the pandemic that i was looking to for truth in the midst of so much censorship dr mccullough started the wellness company to build a parallel healthcare system which is free from big pharma and you guys know how i feel about big pharma and big medicine which unfortunately after this pandemic so many people have lost trust in the medical profession and the regulatory agencies for sure in fact recent research shows that 40 percent of americans would not want to even go to a doctor or a hospital unless it was a catastrophic emergency so the wellness company is here to bring change in the face of so much medical corruption Part of that change is helping you take control of your health, especially in this post-pandemic world, which is why I want to talk to you about their Spike Support Formula, a revolutionary supplement. So many people were coerced to take the shot and that spike protein is not leaving their systems. The spike support formula can help. It's the only product that contains ingredients research to block and dissolve the COVID spike protein in the bloodstream, whether you got it from COVID or from the jab. Spike protein is a serious concern. And of course, we will not truly know the extent of these devastating effects for years to come, but there is something you can do now to protect yourself and keep you and your family well. Thousands of people, vaccinated or not, have reported better mental clarity, reduced inflammation, and increased energy levels. You can take spike support daily to combat spike proteins and get back to that pre-COVID feeling. Head over to twc.health slash love life and use code love life, all one word, to save 15% at checkout. That's twc.health slash love life and use code LOVELIFE for 15% off. So here we're still talking about roles that are expected based on birth order. Possibly. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is because we're going to talk about other roles that really wouldn't necessarily be related to birth order at all. And also, if you are mm-hmm. curious about birth order, we did an entire series of that mm, about six months ago. So be sure to check back in on that. But yeah, to your point, we can say that in general, there are roles that siblings acquire. And it's not that parents go, you're my firstborn son, so you're going to be the leader of the family. It just happens, like you said, organically. It happens naturally. Certainly with bigger families, when you had seven, eight children, you're going to have those first couple kids are raising the Younger kids, oftentimes, essentially, or certainly having to help. I mean, I think about Dan and I were traveling last week for work, and you see these families in the airport. I mean, if you're having man-to-man defense, that's one thing. Two parents, two kids. But when you've got three, four, five, you're in the airport. It's busy. It's crazy. I mean, that older kid is going to just naturally, typically, just start looking out for the toddler. Mm -hmm. So that sort of thing is part of what we're talking about in roles for sure. But as you said also, some may abdicate. 
maybe Aunt Patty, though she had strong opinions. Maybe it was just personality traits that came in where dad was just such a leader and just had that strong personality. And then maybe generational too, because in those days, the boys were expected to be more in leadership roles in every context than women were. So that sort of thing could be at work as well. Yeah, and I think the roles to switch off birth order dynamics for a minute, but I thought we had to start there. But the roles to switch off is that there's often in a family system, even if the family system is loaded, now we're going to talk about conflict a little bit, even if the family system is loaded with avoiders or loaded with confronters, either way, there's going to be roles about peacemaking, our roles about uh, de-escalating. There's almost always a natural uh, positional, not by birth order, but by temperament and personality, and who's comfortable with kind of consternation, who's not, that rolls for someone's going to help calm things down or someone's going to help rise them up. So agitators and peacemakers. Yeah, sometimes based on their own personality, sometimes based on how they feel about conflict or whatever the dominant power structure of that extended family is, that one can often assign those things. For example, Angie's mother, it's a matriarchal system in the Iowa clan, coming off many lines of matriarchal. And when I got there to this Thanksgiving, Susie let me know an extended family member was coming and had been going through a hard time and wanted to know if I'd put my counselor hat on for a little bit. Totally fine, of course. Well within my giftedness and my enjoyment and gives me some defined role when I'm trapped in places, even with wonderful family, which I love, but I still get a little hyper and feeling trapped in a three, four, five hour get together. And that was an example of a matriarchal power system assigning to her son-in-law, who she loves and knows he's gifted in those areas. Hey, can you watch out and, and do something a part of your natural self that day? And so I had a little bit of a defined role for that day. That's an example of something can happen within that systemically as well. We'd love to connect with you further via our weekly newsletter. Joining the Love & Life family gets you first access to bonus content and flash sale pricing for books and consultations. And when you sign up, you'll receive Karen's Empowered Dating Playbook or my Empowered Marriage Playbook. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com to join the Love & Life family. Okay, so we're talking about family of origin, but of course, also, once you marry into a family... Now you have a role. And it, so let's talk about those extended family roles and how that might play out. Because I'm sure it's something that you're on your wedding day and you know that your in-laws, you're now, the two families are going to be joined. But no one probably thinks about like, what's my new role going to be in this extended family? Yeah, and an example that fits well in this uh, light with the Iowa family and our family here in Elgin and extended Indiana <laughs> is that I'm still often in the agitational, provocative, middle child, rebel role in our family of origin. It's less on events when I've preached first, because I think that helps me be a little more mature in my responses. But when I go to Iowa, I don't have any of that. I'm not in the agitational role at all. I'm not in the provocative role, much more in pastoral counselor kind of spirit. And then with all of Brock's kids, playful mode. I like to get in playful mode with those kids yeah. and have fun and be silly with them. But that dawned on me as well, that very purposely provoking and poking role that I do in our family a lot, whether it's asked or not asked for, I don't do that in the Iowa context at all. 
that's an example of how our roles can move and shift a little bit based on personality, temperaments, systems, extended family members. Well, I'd say you're still putting your best foot forward, but you guys have been married forever. So you could certainly be that authentic side of you with your Iowa family, with Angie's family, and still feel accepted. Because I mean, you wouldn't want to put on the, I'm the agitator role when you first met your future in-laws. That would have been, you did. Oh, I did. (laughs) Yeah, I remember Susie and I had some battles early. Yeah, that wasn't always smooth sailing there for little. Strong power system there, absolutely. All right, but I mean, when you first met them, you were polite. I mean, mom's going to listen to this episode, and if she thinks that you went guns blazing for Susie when you barely knew the woman. I called Susie a dictator to her face. Were you guys married yet? No. Well, this sounds like it calls for a separate episode, because now I get to be the therapist, because I don't know why you would do that. (laughs) No, I was reacting strongly to a power system, that's all. And and Susie and I laugh about it now. It's all part of us connecting, but it was in the car with... Me and Bob up front and Susie and Barb and Angie in the back. And she was making some kinds of plans for what we were doing this and when we were doing that. And and I said something to the effects. Angie knows the quote. Something to the effects like, man, when I'm older, I'm going to write a book and a series of books on you as a dictator. Wow. It was not well received. Well, I yeah. can understand why. Now, Imagine but... <laughs> But yeah, you know, so but I was just that was just a organic response. I wasn't intentionally trying to be a provoker. Well, I was just irritated. You were. This is actually gets back to rules. You were dealing with. You had not seen mom coming off with that kind of. I'm running the show right here for the first 18 years of your life, and then you start connecting with Angie's family, and you've got quote unquote the dictator, also so a matriarchal system. A strong and you're going, leader, yeah. this doesn't feel right. This isn't right. No, it wasn't. It was also strange, being younger, yeah. you maybe have been a little bit protective of Angie. Not that you're not protective of her now, but you may have kind of thought it's my job to differently t- stick up for everybody here. Boundaries may be there. Very interesting. I'd never heard that story. Oh yeah, there's plenty <laughs> in those early days. Oh, well, I'm glad you guys can laugh about it now. But that's a great example of those expectations, again, going back to family rules, where you're in a different system and dealing with the dynamics and going, I don't like this. Yeah, there's much better ways to handle that or how to communicate it or bring it (laughs) up. But again, in context, we've talked about in the past, when power meets power, it's not respected unless it's delivered. You just got to do it graciously and kindly. And so if I felt the need to step up a boundary or to address the power system in its capacity for what it I felt wasn't appropriate or wasn't in the right boundaries or something, that's fine. It's not like I have to be someone I'm not, but I should do that respectfully and graciously in a, an environment that is conducive for healing or health. But in, in retrospect, Susie and I often look back and some of those struggles we had early were necessary and then did help us forge that trust and that bond and that strength going forward and to where we have a really excellent relationship today. So sometimes those imbalances of powers and roles and systemics have to have some challenging days. Well, I don't know. I, I wouldn't even say imbalance in that case. I, I would go back to what you said earlier, the power, two powerful personalities interacting. And even though, yeah, there should have been a bit of a hierarchy because she's your future mother-in-law. At the same time, yeah. to your point, I was thinking as you were saying that, I was like, you know what? I bet Susie respected him. In the long run, yeah. She's not happy, but... I'm sure her visceral response was, he's insubordinate, Absolutely. he's a little punk, but I know powerful people who try to punk people down and 
they'll take your kindness for weakness until you come back swinging a little bit. Not metaphorically speaking, we do not call for violence. Yeah, metaphorically, yeah, they're both. <laughs> we are pacifists. Not part of love and life. <laughs> <laughs> love and life, come out swinging. <laughs> so there's an example of some of the roles going back and forth in different dynamics and. I think there's subtle roles that take place within the family system as well that aren't so yeah. easily defined. Like who is the kind, gentle one who checks on others when the big group's not together? That's who's behind the scenes? Yeah. Who's picking up trash? Who's doing dishes on the side? You know, who's checking on someone's emotions or spirit, right? There's always kind of some movements within the roles that have some flexibility. And maybe they're natural extensions of what they already provide in life, like Leah does. Or maybe they're a little different than something we don't play out. But in this family or this extended realm, we'll add a new role to it. And that's our older brother's wife, for those who maybe are just tuning in and don't know the whole family system. Let me talk for a minute about how our roles can sometimes hurt us. So we've talked about owning our own behaviors, setting our own boundaries, being true to self, but gracious and respectful to the systemic you're going to. And so my early days in Iowa, I was not doing that. I was not being appropriate with the matriarchal system and my mother-in-law and her system that everyone was fine with and enjoyed and were part of, right? So it's not like it was abusive or so negative or, or dastardly that I had to go in there and save the day. No one asked me to. And so sometimes we have to recognize that my role there as a provoker, prodder, that role wasn't needed or wasn't necessary, wasn't the right way to address the system. Therefore, get into some other roles that are comfortable for me, peacemaker, using my sense of humor to help people get along and just be more counselor pastor role rather than dynamic kind of front center culture changer. <laughs> that wasn't asked of and that wasn't necessary. Well, when do you think you really understood roles to that degree? Was it after getting your master's? Because I don't think most people go as they're driving to grandma's for the family gathering. What's my role in this family? Right. It's, I think most of it is beneath the surface. Yeah. And I think that's why we're talking about it right. so concretely and specifically and outwardly. So people can right. kind of reflect and look back. I know from feedback from clients, some that have come through the podcast, some that have come through other means and then listen to the podcast that when we talk about conflict animals or we talk about the love languages, we talk about different family system things or birth order that helps them think about it in a different lens. And then they are having those conversations, which we are thrilled about on the way to grandma's, on the way to your parents, on the way to your cousins. Hey, what is our family rules here? What is our family roles? And so that's, I think, why we're talking about it. So no, even though you and I had fascination with this and both of us studied it in our clinical work, our clinical training in grad school, I wasn't talking out loud about these things with Angie or my mother-in-law and didn't think about them in the front side, but mm -hmm. often in reflection. And then when I'm sitting in classes or I'm starting to teach classes, then right. it becomes quite obvious what's going on. And then I start to apply it and integrate it pretty quickly. So you were talking about roles that might not be helpful for the individual family member or for the family system at large. And... In addition to that, I'm wondering if we think about what if you're a grown-up, an adult child now, and you're going, I don't like my role. It doesn't fit me anymore. If you're in that position where you're not sure you want that role anymore, if it's been defined and it's kind of used against you or people 
set you up for it all the time. I think we're going back to our mm-hmm. pre-communication systemic. Recognize, okay, we have another big family event. I recognize in my own heart, I don't like this role. I don't like to feel pressured into it. Therefore, I'm going to communicate ahead of time, not the day of. Mm-hmm. And if you're defining the role or labeling it fine, if you're not, you're just kind of sharing with your sibling or uncle or whoever. I'm not comfortable when we get in these kind of patterns. This is not good for my spirit. You know, trying to own it to self, not talk about, I don't like it when you do this, you do that. You're talking about yourself. I'm not comfortable with this particular role. It seems like I play all the time. So you got to name it in some capacity and communicate it. But even then, once you get into the system and you're with everybody, it's going to, it's going to weave itself around again. And if I'm not intentional in our family, I can just sometimes be provoking too much, even if some of it's innocent and fun. And it's not always necessary. Sometimes I'm restless or antsy, but even then, at, at this stage of life, I don't have to stay in that very scripted role. And you and I have talked about this before, when Warren kind of abdicates his oldest, especially as the patriarch mm-hmm. of the family now, since father's gone and he's the oldest male in a patriarchal system, when he abdicates a little bit just out of fatigue or, or just a desire to be more chilled out that afternoon, you and I and others look around right. like, what's going on? <laughs> it's like we, don't, we get a little lost. We're like, whoa. Yeah. You know, thankfully, Angie's a very strong firstborn as well. And Dan and I as seconds in the system, as far as males go, we're quite comfortable making decisions also. But still, it is interesting. It just kind of throws the system off a little bit when one of the adults doesn't kind of carry out their primary role. If, for example, on Christmas Eve, we're at mom's house for six hours and I'm completely quiet and passive and chilled and not making any snide comments or remarks, everyone will look around and goes, Elliot's sick. We would be not worried. Well? You know, someone's yeah. going to wonder if something's, yeah, something's wrong. So there's elements of that that I think are part of families too. And sometimes it's hard to get out of that role. And that's why you and I are suggesting some pre-communication, pre-conversation or stating up front, hey, by the way, I'm just, and Warren's done this many times, I'm just super tired. Right now, so I'm just going to be more mellow. I'm going to play this job without taking charge, or I'm going to just hang out and be here and kind of enjoy the family context and be in like almost a grandfatherly type role rather than a, a fatherly type role. And that's fine. Also, it just is, if it's a massive adjustment, it's good to communicate it. As we're talking, and even when you were talking about your roles as our family of origin, and then as you stepped into your in-law family, that when we're talking about roles, they can be, some can be quite rigid. And then some can be more, we talk about parts theory, which we probably need to devote an entire episode to that because I think it's such a great framework from which I've understood myself better as I was growing and learning all this stuff in grad school, like you were saying. And it's something that you can use to understand why sometimes you find yourself having internal conflict because we have many parts to us and the parts sometimes battle. So there may be several roles that you have embodied within the family, your family of origin. And those might be related to different parts of yourself, the playful, fun-loving, comedy side, clown part, and then also the part that's very serious and very opinionated. And those parts might be doing internal battle, and they may also battle within the extended family context as well. Especially if they dance back and forth quickly. Yeah, right, because right, people are like, which part's read? coming for yeah, me? It's sometimes hard to read it, for sure. Sometimes when there's a family systemic with abuse or trauma or a brand new divorce or separation, a mental illness of severe levels, severe levels. Sometimes roles have to be adjusted and accommodated a bit. 
simply out of the systemic fragility, right? So if you're a provoker role, agitator role, like my spirit is occasionally, and there's a brand new divorce in the family system, that's not the time to be picking at people. First Christmas, mm. first opportunity. So that could cause great dysfunction and we need to diminish some of those aspects. And then there, if there is that severe abuser, a severe mental illness in the family system, and you're someone who is the role of kind of a closure, let's find appropriate boundaries and respect and accommodations. And someone's incapable of that based on their current condition or status or the realities of the stress. Then sometimes you could actually be pushing things that might have a healthy inclusive nature, but that just aren't possible in this particular environment or setting. And so it's not that you're being inappropriate in your own role or your own abilities or giftings, but maybe that systemic is not going to be able to accommodate that or adjust to that at this time. And therefore it can end up kind of giving uh, too much pressure on the systemic. So the role that is positive becomes negative or becomes a detriment. Even when you just said all that, it just, what I kept thinking of is no wonder families struggle. Absolutely. <laughs> because people don't get it all the time. There's a lot of, uh, you don't want to say that you're always walking on thin ice because you hope that's not the case or walking on eggshells, but there's so many different variables at work and all the different dynamics, as we talked about before, the dyads, the triads, the triangles, perhaps so much going on that sometimes it's just hard not to step on toes. And we, and of course with our families, we tend to oftentimes have more intense reactions and responses when our feelings get hurt. Yeah. And if you don't know your family members too well, you're just scattered all over the U.S. or the world, then you're going to be a little, or should be a little bit more cautious or temperate in responses up front until you kind of know what's going on with each other. Because maybe you're just doing a catch up mm -hmm. and you're just kind of discovering life again. And maybe there's something huge going on in your cousin's life. You have no idea because maybe the family's not that close, and so therefore it gets a little more fragile there also. If you're interested in processing further as you align your mind, body, and spirit, we're here for you. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Us tab. There you can book individual or couples sessions. Or sign up for one of our support groups. Purchase one session or a multiple session package. We'd love to work with you. Sign up at loveandlifemedia.com. So there's another part of this role transition that comes to mind, Karen. So if someone gets married, not only does their role change, but now they're bringing a new partner into the family dynamic. So their own role might have some adaptation. Mm. And now they have a new person in that who might have a completely different family systemic background and or style within that family. And so now other roles might adjust to those new roles. So anytime there's a, a marriage, there's a birth of a child, there's a death, there's a divorce, there's a loss, those roles can take adjustments again. And we just be cognizant of them and recognize that. And you'll hear this frequently. And I, I received this from pa uh, papers that students write that some big change in life happens and then they go home and they respond and someone's kind of changed roles quite a bit. I know I have one client that her father just died, I think it was July, and five kids in the family, she's one of the kids, and now mom is going to get married again already, Oh, likely within two or three months. So 
it's shocking the entire family system. The guy seems to be awesome. Mom's super happy. And so the client and I were talking about coming home for this first Christmas since dad's gone. That was hard enough. Yes. Now it's got a triple meaning. They're still grieving. They're still going through that. Now mom's super happy and this new guy seems to be awesome, but it's really throwing dynamic out. And then each of the siblings is kind of responding in their own way. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of kids yet underneath that. So that helps a little bit. But that's an example of how these transitions of life can really shift roles quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and just looking at this pattern differently. Yeah, the family life cycle has those normal expected transitions. Sounds like her father passed away earlier than we would expect yes. for her to have and she and her siblings to deal with that loss and then to have a new potential stepfather on the scene so quickly, which not enough time to grieve, we'd argue. As professionals, there's a lot there. And so that even that expected transition in the family life cycle is accelerated here. And so magnified and accelerated. Yeah. Right. And so to your point earlier, this would be a time where people might want to step into the family gatherings with a little bit more Let me just lay back a bit, kind of see how everyone's doing, (laughs) a little more sensitivity to all involved. Yeah, for sure. So that's another example of the role differentiation that can have some variables in it quite a bit. And sometimes, you know, we all have to have freedom with ourselves to say, I'm just not in the right mood or spirit. So we know for our listeners, there's many issues with family rules and family roles that might be brand new and you're heading in this week. And so I think you and I would advise them to maybe rather than trying to integrate super specific changes, maybe if this is your first time thinking of these things, just go in observationally and just recognize who you are more differently, maybe, or what rules are spoken or unspoken rules or spoken or unspoken roles and who's labeling, who's not labeling, and maybe just be an observer. And then the pre-communication with your family on the way there, if you're married or boyfriend, girlfriend, partner. And then some reflection on the way back, the debrief on your way out. That kind of starts to get the ball rolling for family systemic awareness and family systemic change. Because one person in the family system can really start to make it healthier for everybody when we're not trying to force or coerce or manipulate, but being open and honest. And like you've given great examples all the way through, ownership, boundaries, regulation, you know, calming. I think another angle, Karen, to this brand new family systems theory, if it's new to people, again, you and I have talked about it so often, but share with others. So you're learning, you're recognizing rules and roles and systemic and boundaries and conflict animals and birth order and love languages and woundedness. And the more you can share it with the receptive audience, the right people, maybe one person at a time rather than a whole group when someone might not be interested, And then when you can start bouncing off these things with each other in a family system, that gains great strength and momentum. And you can really learn well and understand each other better and communicate better because of it. Yeah, especially if you have curious family members who are interested in that kind of thing. And they'd be, they would enjoy, I mean, most people like to talk about relationships in one way, shape or form. And so if you can find a way to present it that they can feel, oh, wow, that is fun to talk about, or we can all learn together. I remember when Leah's dad, way back when Leah came into our family and her father, sadly, was ill. He had cancer. And I remember at one point in time talking with Warren and Leah and you and Angie and 
She was sharing the story about her family, because so many of them at that point in time were reading a lot of self-help books. And I remember she said something like her dad was like, what's all this boundaries talk? And, you know, you know, he's from the generation where that kind of discourse wasn't common. And I think he was having fun with it, yeah. that his kids were learning and sharing all these terms, this psychobabble or whatever it was. But they got a kick out of that, that he was going, huh? What's that all about? And I think that's an example of siblings trying to grow and learn and share. And in their, in their family, they everyone seemed pretty open to it. That could be a change of a family role, though. It could be. Because if it's a younger sibling and someone's like, well, what do you know? You're the youngest. And then they're like, actually, I'm in grad school and I'm learning this. Or actually, I've been going to counseling and I'm learning this. It could be interesting. That in and of itself could be adjustment of a role. Yeah. In fact, you and I could probably say if our family rules and the family roles aren't changing some over the years, then we're not growing. We're not developing. We're not maturing. And I think this kind of information should give you a different lens and a different perspective Mm -hmm. to be aware of. And then you can integrate more and then practice some gentle things. We've also taught over this series that sometimes you can't be super gentle and you have to really lay a boundary down. And sometimes the stronger the boundary and the stronger the power you're pushing the boundary on or presenting the boundary to, I should say, the more difficult their response might be. And it doesn't mean your boundary wasn't good. It means your boundary was probably excellent. So sometimes these adjustments to the rules and the roles and the ownership can lead to some difficult conversations or hurt feelings, but it doesn't mean they're wrong. It doesn't mean that you did something wrong. One of the things that strikes me when you're saying that is as we're changing, sometimes we can feel like, hey, I'm growing and no one's seeing Mm. this growth. No one's appreciating this growth. Maybe people are actively trying to keep me from growing because they liked the structure before. And that's normal too. That can be hard. I mean, it's certainly, we talk about these transition periods. It's hard for parents as much as they want to say, I'm gaining a son, not losing a daughter. Still, it's like, whoa, now we've got this other person. And the these two, this person that I created, this human being, this daughter, for example, this son, now has someone else that they have to, that has to be their primary purpose in life, is to be that person's significant other, that person's spouse. All of that, it can be very hard for everyone to adjust to. But what we talk about in family systems is I don't have to try to convince everyone that they need to change along with me or need to grow along with me. I can only control myself, but there's a lot of power in changing my dance step. Because when I change my dance step in the family dance, other people will have to adjust in one way, shape, or form. And I'm not trying to say be manipulative or try to strong arm everyone to change, but it's like a mobile. We always talked about that in family systems too. It's very delicate balance, but you adjust one of the, I don't know what you call those things that hang off the mobiles, but one changes and the the balance mm-hmm. of everyone else in the family system as a whole must change. So that's where we're able to be like, I need to change because of my growth and personal development and what God, I believe God is the person God's wired me to be and is continuing to wire me to be and invite the other family members, again, assuming you're hoping they're growing too, Invite them to adjust as well. And you don't always have to talk about it. Just you behaving differently can oftentimes have a ripple effect. Yeah, amen to that. And each new spouse that comes in brings a part of their family system with them. And so, yes, the overall arching stylistic culture of the family system in a large context, multiple generations, multiple families will probably stay the same 
or at least generally the same. But if we don't give voice and freedom and openness for these new systemics joining in in a oneness in a scriptural mindset or heart set, then we're robbing ourselves of greater diversity and growth and development as well. And so that can be hard for some systems that are really tight, really mm-hmm. strong, and you like either respond a certain way or you're not in. Elliot, let's actually break here because I think we've had a lot for everyone to kind of chew on regarding the overall picture of roles. And then in the next episode, we'll get into some specific roles, some tangible examples of the type of roles that we see when we examine families and then roles that the listeners may be able to go, huh, that definitely sounds like me. So we'll pick this back up in the next episode as the final segment of our family systems theory, at least final for this year. (laughs) Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.